Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Story time. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Bigfoot? 
The following true story about the Oregon wilderness was told to me by Jim, my aunt's friend, avid hiker and hunter. So, I don't remember much of the details. His stories all had basically one particular conclusion, presence of something intelligent in surrounding wilderness. Jim used to hike just like my grandpa with one little exception that my grandpa was a professional backpacker back in the USSR, which is going to be of some significance later, and he traveled with a group and some firearms. Jim used to go all alone in the wilderness with a firearm as well. Jim's encounters have never ended in a particular meeting with an entity but usually in a form of traces, broken branches, distant howling and roaring, and a feeling that he was being watched, which he actually dismissed as his natural instinctive reaction to unfamiliar environment and vast possibilities, bears, wolves, moose, all could be around. Except for one such encounter. I don't remember what area he was telling me exactly about but I'm pretty sure it was one of those rogue river forests in Oregon. So, as usual, he left his car at the parking lot and continued afoot. I think, he planned for three days but I'm not sure. Anyway, closer to the dusk Jim found a place for him to stop, he prepared his dinner using a portable stove, got into his tent and sleeping bag, he then fell asleep. He couldn't recall when it happened but it was already dark outside except for the moon shining over the nearby top but Jim didn't know that yet. Jim woke up to loud banging noises that appeared to be wood on wood knocking but it was so loud he couldn't hear his own commotion as he was pulling the sleeping bag forcing himself out of it, then pulling the rifle and sending a round into the chamber. He called out once, twice, thrice. At that point he was frightened. The banging never stopped. He poked his rifle out of the tent and squeezed the trigger. Flash illuminated the outside of the tent. The bang followed. And then silence. From what I remember it was kind of a deafening silence for him. Blood was pulsing in his ears, he was blushing and almost had a vertigo. He also was startled by his own rifle as everything happened so quick he never adapted to the situation. It was silent for not long but for him it was almost forever. Did I just kill someone? And then roaring and sound of breaking branches not far away. He was so scared and confused, he was contemplating whether he should stay inside and wait with the rifle or go outside and pursue the intruder. Jim forced himself out of the tent screaming you mother f. Leave me alone. I'll shoot you. There was nothing outside. His eyes just started to get used to the darkness, and within a minute he noticed that a spruce not so far away from him, maybe in a distance of a clear shot, started to swing from one side to another like if there was something on top of it forcing the tree to break down. It was like that for quite some time, and then it stopped. Jim decided to get inside and wait for sunrise which he did, and then he quickly grabbed everything he had and made all the way back to the parking lot as fast as he could and never stopped for longer than enough to catch a breath. As for my grandpa, he was much younger at the time he was hiking and kayaking back to civilization with his group in the Urals. They spent weeks in wilderness occasionally encountering foresters cabins or entire villages of the local population called Monsi. They would usually trade something for food, usually alcohol which was the most valuable product for Monsi and they would direct them not to go into certain areas deemed cursed or sacred. My grandpa never was a communist, a member of the communist party, 
which was a reason why he was never considered for promotion. He was a deputy director of aerodynamic lab at one of the Soviet's mechanical engineering centers busy with nautical ballistic missiles for submarines, but he sure was atheist. So, they would only smirk and do whatever they want. And even then they would encounter some weird shit. I was amazed just how similar Jim's story was to one of my grandpa's stories. I was digging through my grandfather's things a while ago and came upon this report that I thought was very intriguing. This is a report from a soldier located in Falk, Arkansas. He had encountered what he can describe as the Boggy Creek Monster during a shift at night. This is his account, the date unknown, the report was given around 1930. At approximately 21 hours, our guard posted the usual two men. Shortly after I took over watch, I heard something off the path moving towards me that was large. Thinking it was my relief, I challenged him by name and ordered him to halt. But instead of stopping, this man broke into a run. I then took pursuit, firing several shots at him with my rifle, in order for him to stop, not directly at him, but around him. He apparently was not hit and disappeared into the darkness. I could hear something running away ahead of me for the time but it soon ceased its noise. I did not see a man or dog, although it might have been a bear going through the underbrush. This would happen over the following nights, and the centuries would each time fire at it, but to no avail. We were never able to catch up with this man-like creature, but it was certainly not a bear. But I cannot say what it is. Maybe some of the wild men from the hills. I know nothing more about this matter except that I never hope to encounter it again. It sounds to me like this soldier had encountered the Boggy Creek Monster. Hi, my name is Joe. I work for the forestry service in a small town located roughly about an hour away from both Reno and South Lake Tahoe. For the past few months, there have been reports of people seeing very large tracks around here, but up until recently, nobody thought much of it. We all assumed it to be bear tracks since we do have a lot of black bears living around these parts. But lately, people are coming forward with stories about their own encounters with what might possibly seem to be a type of Bigfoot, Sasquatch, or even Yowie type creature. We suspect these beings have been roaming around here at night, scaring hikers out on the trails, growling and howling at them, waking people up in their tents, and just causing a ruckus. The first thing I thought when I heard these stories was that they were all total BS maybe we just got a few drunk college kids and they were trespassing, trying to scare people away. But then I started asking around town, and there's a guy around here who's been doing this his whole life, and he works as a paramedic. He informed me about seeing something large sprinting along the forest at what he estimated to be near 80 miles an hour incredibly fast if you consider just how thick and how dense some of the timber is around here. His description of it looks similar to what these people are saying, and he seemed completely serious and not intending to prank or lie to anybody. He also said that it left a trail behind it, kind of like its eyes glowed so white that it left behind this light trail. We're talking about something almost otherworldly here. Hear this, 
This is one of the stories where you feel as if the person telling it thinks their audience is going to dismiss them as either a liar or insist they were either drunk, sleep deprived, or high on something due to sleep deprivation. Which makes me wonder why somebody would make such an outlandish story up, especially one like this where they're seeing something like this running through the forest. Maybe there are people out here who are really seeing something potentially dangerous. I don't know what to think of this point, so I'll leave it up to you guys to do all the research. Hopefully, we can figure out what's going on here ASAP because these accounts about encounters keep getting more and more frequent, and there seems to be no signs of stopping. We've got a lot of work ahead of us. I'm not sure if anybody else in my community has seen or heard anything like this before, but just in case, keep your eyes open. The haunting tendrils of secrecy had held me captive for far too long. As a government whistleblower, the weight of classified information bore down on my conscience, demanding release. The truth needed to be heard, the world deserved to know the terrifying reality concealed behind closed doors. It was time to unshackle my soul and lay bare the horrors I had witnessed while working for the clandestine government agency. On a rainy evening, the dim glow of streetlights cast a melancholic haze upon the city's streets. My heart raced with a blend of anxiety and determination as I navigated my way to the unassuming office of a local reporter, the key to my liberation. The rain-slicked pavement seemed to mirror the slippery slope upon which I tread. The doorbell's chime echoed through the air as I stepped into the reporter's office, the faint scent of ink and paper mingling with the stale aroma of coffee. The reporter, a seasoned journalist named Michael, looked up from his cluttered desk, his eyes alight with curiosity and skepticism. John, he greeted me with a nod, gesturing for me to take a seat. You said you had something big to share. Something that could change everything. I took a deep breath, my heart pounding like a drumbeat in my chest. Michael, I've seen things, unspeakable things, during my time working for a secret government agency. He leaned in, his eyes narrowing with intrigue. Go on. With a heavy sigh, I began to recount the nightmare that had become my reality. There's a program, codenamed Terror. It's a top-secret initiative aimed at reviving ancient fossils of cryptids, creatures once whispered about in old books. The government has managed to bring these long-lost monsters back to life. Michael's brow furrowed, his skepticism warring with a glimmer of belief. Cryptids? You mean like mythical creatures? The Loch Ness Monster, Bigfoot? I nodded solemnly. Exactly. But it doesn't stop there. These creatures, they're not just confined to secret laboratories. They've been released into the wild, scattered across the United States. The government wanted to see how they would interact with the environment how they would behave. He stared at me, his eyes wide with a mix of shock and disbelief. You're saying there are living, breathing cryptids out there? Running loose in the forests and mountains? I nodded again, my voice trembling with the weight of the truth. Yes, Michael. And only the Supreme General has full knowledge of this program. It's a conspiracy that goes deeper than anyone could imagine. I could see the wheels turning in his mind as he processed the gravity of my revelations. But why? Why would they do something like this? 
The reasons are unknown to me, but the implications are terrifying. These creatures are unpredictable, uncontrollable. They could pose a threat to both nature and humanity. Michael's fingers tap restlessly on the desk. I'll write your story, John. But I'll need proof, evidence to back up your claims. My heart sank. I understand, but you have to promise me one thing, protect my identity. If the government finds out I'm talking, they won't hesitate to silence me. He nodded solemnly. I'll do my best, John. We'll expose this together. As I left his office, the weight of my confession lifted slightly, replaced by a glimmer of hope. Michael had promised to continue the interview the next day, and though fear gnawed at the edges of my mind, I held on to the notion that the truth could finally be set free. The following morning, as the sun began to rise, I anxiously awaited Michael's arrival. But as the hours ticked by, my hope waned, replaced by a growing sense of unease. I paced the floor, my mind racing with thoughts of the consequences that could befall me for sharing the government's darkest secrets. When the sun dipped below the horizon, casting long shadows across my living room, I knew that something was amiss. Michael had never arrived, and a sickening realization began to take hold, I was alone, abandoned to the depths of uncertainty. Frantic, I grabbed my phone and dialed Michael's number. It rang and rang, each unanswered tone striking like a hammer blow to my already fragile resolve. I was left with only one conclusion, he had been silenced, erased from existence by the very forces we had hoped to expose. Terror gripped my heart as I realized the horrifying truth. I had been marked, my revelation deemed too dangerous to see the light of day. The government had moved swiftly, erasing Michael from the equation as if he had never existed. I stared at my phone, a sinking feeling settling in the pit of my stomach. The magnitude of what I had set in motion was beginning to crush me, its weight too heavy to bear. I was left with a haunting certainty, I was next, a pawn in a twisted game where the stakes were higher than I could have ever fathomed. As the days turned to weeks, I lived in a constant state of paranoia, my every move shadowed by the ominous threat of retribution. The walls seemed to close in, and the world around me became a claustrophobic maze of uncertainty. I was a man on the run, hunted by an entity I could barely comprehend. In the end, the truth had not set me free, it had ensnared me in a web of darkness and despair. Michael's absence served as a chilling reminder that the government's reach extended far beyond my worst fears. The memory of his unwavering determination fueled my resolve to continue the fight, to expose the malevolent forces lurking in the shadows. And so, I persist, a lone voice in the darkness, fighting against the forces that seek to silence the truth. The road ahead is treacherous, and the path is shrouded in uncertainty, but I will not be deterred. For I have witnessed the unspeakable, and I am determined to ensure that the world knows the horrors that lie beneath the surface, the terrifying secrets that could bring about our downfall or, perhaps, our salvation. Back in the fall of 2020 during the pandemic, I was driving and I had a girl I was dating with me. I was picking her up from her house. It was nighttime. This was in northern New Mexico so there's like a hotbed of creatures and other strange stuff there as well. 
So we're driving down the road and you know how sometimes, a deer will jump out in front of your car. I saw what I thought was deer or something coming from the side of the road. I would never ever think this would happen but it jumped in front of the car and I hit the brakes. And it's night time, so I have the headlights on. So we both leaned forward to look at it because at first, I said, oh, that's a deer. Then I thought it was a dog. It gets within 5 feet of the headlights and I'm almost stopped. The thing was black and transparent, the headlights went through it, and it looked like the size of a large dog or a small bear, and the back end of it was higher than the front. The lights went through it so it was kind of in this realm and kind of not. You could see the road and you could tell where the car was like it knew we were there. I think it purposely jumped in front of the headlights but, I don't know. We both saw this thing. I looked at my girlfriend and she said, did you just see that? And I said, yeah, I don't know, I've never seen anything like that. Later on, I watched the movie Constantine with Keanu Reeves. It looked exactly like what they have in that movie what they called a soldier demon. They had smaller front legs, but the back legs, when they walked on four legs like a dog. In the movie, they had skin but this thing that I saw, was totally black. But it had that shape to it to it. Like it had a small head, a little head, and a larger body than its head but back a bit. Exactly like that movie. That thing in that movie wasn't just someone's imagination, those things exist. What was it doing? I mean, it was out in the middle of nowhere. There were houses and people around but I don't know. My girlfriend and I had driven down an old dirt road that ran beside a lake on one side with mountains on the other. We were looking for unexplored territory to hike in. The dirt road became a trail and eventually was swallowed up entirely by the forest. Once the path became impassable by car we got out and hiked for quite some time and began making our way back to the car as the sun was going down. It was a challenge getting the car turned around but I finally managed and we were off. It was slow going as it was a shitty road and getting dark fast. Suddenly we came to fork in the path that hadn't been visible coming the other way. Neither of us had any idea whether to go right or left so I just picked randomly hoping that both would end up taking us back to the main road. As we rounded a small curve in the road our headlights fall upon a man dragging a large hockey duffel bag off the trail into the woods. As soon as the lights hit him he just froze completely still. Driving past him felt like an eternity because we couldn't have been doing more than 5 miles an hour, due to the shitty road. My girlfriend and I didn't say a word to each other until we were well past him. At which point we were like WTF was that? And then the road ended. Just like where we had stopped the first time, the forest had swallowed up this part of the road. We were going to have to turn around and drive by the man with the human-sized duffel bag again. I told my girlfriend to buckle up and hold on tight because at the first sign of trouble I was going to gun it. We came to the spot where the man was and he was nowhere to be seen. We eventually made it to the right path and got the F out of there. The weirdest thing about it was that there wasn't a vehicle anywhere near this guy for 50 miles in either direction. We would have seen it if there had been. We'd traveled as far as possible both ways and there just wasn't a place to pull off of the road. How the hell did he get there? Where was he going? 
What was in the bag? On Tuesday afternoon of this week, a few minutes after 6 o'clock, I noticed from my window a very peculiar, solitary, vapory object in the heavens. Its position was about where the constellation of the Dipper would be at that hour, viz, due north, and 35 degrees above the horizon. In magnitude and contour it in a marked degree resembled a human form, head, body, and nether limbs, the body and limbs robed in shadowy drapery. The head, which was of brighter luminosity on the crown and forehead, had thick flowing hair, and the whole figure was extended horizontally, with the head eastward and the front downward. But there was another feature quite as marked, and that was an appearance as of wings projecting upward and backward from the shoulders, and these in due proportional extent to the body and limbs. This last-named feature gave the entirety the appearance of an angel. Flying in mid-heaven, considered as a cloud, it was remarkable that it kept the same outline continuously, which is uncommon in those vapory objects, while I had it in view for a considerable time, as it progressed swiftly toward the east. The luminosity of the shadowy angel was of a golden white, and it presented a very beautiful appearance against the blue background of the sky. In addition to the startling outline of the object, the interest in it was greatly increased by its being at the time the only one visible in the whole northern heavens, except some low-lying black clouds on the horizon. I called the attention of several persons to it, one of whom discovered himself the resemblance I did. Query, was this a presage of a coming event? It reminded me of the words recorded in Mark 13, 27, then shall he send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, and those in Daniel 9, 21, Gabriel being caused to fly swiftly, touched me about the time of the evening ablation. I was walking through the woods after fishing for the better part of the day. I decided to stay out real late and try and fish up some bullheads from a local watering hole. I was only about 13 and stayed out way later than I normally would. Usually I would take a trail home, but decided to cut through some thicker brush to get to my grandparents' house so I could call my mom. I knew she'd probably be freaking out a bit even though this happened from time to time. There was an abandoned graveyard on my route. I don't remember what the story was about it, but I knew it was there. I had wandered past it before, never really checked it out. It's all overgrown and wild. I knew that if I followed on the outskirts of the graveyard I'd hit the road and be home free. The day had been pretty chilly overall for a late spring day, but I swear, in my teenage brain that it was getting colder. I remember looking at my breath and thinking it was weird how cold it had gotten. It was overall a pretty bright night, near full moon, but in the woods it was hard to see. The graveyard was wide open, no trees. It was well lit. As I was walking up I noticed that the ground was covered in a thin layer of fog and remember looking into the graveyard and not really registering what I saw at first. It was a person, which at first didn't seem odd, so I kept quiet and walked into the woods a bit more so I didn't get spotted. I didn't know who it was, so I wanted to keep clear. I stepped behind some trees and lost sight of them for a moment, and when I came back around the tree, they were gone. Weird, because I was behind the tree for maybe a few seconds tops. 
I didn't hear anything either. I walked a bit further, keeping an eye out. I was a bit creeped out. Near the graveyard was a run down. Barn? I'm not really sure, but as I got closer to it, I could see that someone was inside. I got a good look and it was a woman, probably in her 50s. The way the moonlight hit her made her look incredibly pale. She seemed to be digging, but I didn't hear anything. No sounds of a shovel or her making noise in any way. I was maybe 30 feet away. I could see she stopped and disappeared behind some debris. I decided to get the heck out of there and quickly moved to get out to the road. I tried to keep track of her, looking for where she went, but I couldn't find her. It was like she literally disappeared. I kept trucking, and came out to the road. The fog was pretty much covering the road, a small country road, fields on one side, woods on the other. As I walked down the road she would randomly appear behind and in front of me, and I started hiding and basically playing cat and mouse. Each time I saw her, she was hard to see, only in the moonlight and stuck to the remnants of some of the old houses nearby. She always looked pale. Never made any noise. Once I got past that part of the road which had a number of barn foundations and home remnants, I never saw her again and it instantly started getting warmer. Creeped me the heck out and I never went that way again. I don't know who or what that was but I told my uncle about it and he went and checked it out, thinking maybe someone was maybe trying to excavate the graves. He said there wasn't anything messed with. They thought I was lying. Still gives me the shakes just typing this out. I know it was most likely someone wandering around looking for stuff or checking the place out, but what teenage me remembers didn't seem natural. It was also weird that she never made noise. She also seemed to be able to just appear and move around me. At one point she was right behind me and I swear a moment later she was in front of me. One day last week a marvelous apparition was seen near Coney Island. At the height of at least a thousand feet in the air a strange object was in the act of flying toward the New Jersey coast. It was apparently a man with bat's wings and improved frog's legs. The face of the man could be distinctly seen, and it wore a cruel and determined expression. The movements made by the object closely resembled those of a frog in the act of swimming with his hind legs and flying with his front legs. Of course, no respectable frog has ever been known to conduct himself in precisely that way, but were a frog to wear bat's wings, and to attempt to swim and fly at the same time, he would correctly imitate the conduct of the Coney Island monster. When we add that this monster waved his wings in answer to the whistle of a locomotive, and was of a deep black color, the alarming nature of the apparition can be imagined. The object was seen by many reputable persons, and they all agreed that it was a man engaged in flying toward New Jersey. About a month ago an object of precisely the same nature was seen in the air over St. Louis by a number of citizens who happen to be sober and are believed to be trustworthy. A little later it was seen by various Kentucky persons as it flew across the state. In no instance has it been known to alight, and no one has seen it at a lower elevation than a thousand feet above the surface of the earth. It is without a doubt the most extraordinary and wonderful object that has ever been seen, and there should be no time lost in ascertaining its precise nature, habits, and probable mission. 
that this aerial apparition is a man fitted with practicable wings there is no reason to doubt. Someone has solved the problem of aerial navigation by inventing wings with which a man can sustain himself in the air and direct his flight to any desired point. Who is this adventurous flyer and what is his object? Are questions of immediate and enormous importance. Of course, the first impulse of the unreflecting mind will be to exclaim that the mysterious flyer is an aeronaut who has invented practicable wings, and is secretly experimenting with them before making his invention public. This is directly at variance with the known habits and customs of aeronauts. Had any aeronaut invented a pair of wings he would have advertised, long before his invention was perfected, that he was in possession of a machine wherewith to make an aerial voyage to Europe in 24 hours, and that he was prepared to exhibit it for a few weeks to everyone who would pay 50 cents to see it. A little later he would have taken up a subscription to pay the expenses of his proposed voyage in the interests of science, and would probably have published a book on the science of aeronautics. Then he would have suddenly disappeared, taking his wings with him, or accidentally burning them, and after the first outburst of indignation on the part of a swindled public would have been totally forgotten. This has been the invariable practice of these ingenious aeronauts who have claimed to be the inventors of balloons or other apparatus capable of navigating the air. That the mysterious flying man has not followed this custom makes it perfectly clear that he is not a professional aeronaut. Beyond any question, either the flying man or some scientific person at present unknown has invented the bat's wings and frog's legs with which the flying man now sails through the air. Why has not the inventor patented his invention and had himself duly written up by the press? The reason is obvious. The flying man is engaged in some undertaking which he cannot safely proclaim. In other words, he is an aerial criminal, a fact which explains the cruelty and determination visible on his countenance, and what can be the nefarious object which this probable wretch has in view. It cannot be simply theft and robbery for it would manifestly be impossible for him, in his flying costume, to perpetrate burglary or highway robbery, or to pick pockets. It cannot be plumbing, for obvious reasons, neither can it be the sale of books published by subscription only. Yet the flying villain must have an object, and we have a right to assume that only a peculiarly nefarious object could induce a man to fly to New Jersey or St. Louis in hot weather and without an umbrella or mosquito net. It has not escaped notice that of late Mr. Talmadge has been wandering in the West in search of entertaining varieties of crime wherewith to embellish his sermons. It is also known that he returned to this city just before the flying man of Coney Island was seen. Now, if there is a man in this country whose arms and legs are fitted to endure the muscular strain inseparable from the act of flying, that man is Mr. Talmadge. He has preached for years with those graceful limbs, and must have developed and hardened their muscles to an extent which would fill every other professional acrobat with envy. What is more probable than that Mr. Talmadge has equipped himself with wings in order to study interesting types of immorality from the lofty height of a thousand feet? He has flown over St. Louis and Kentucky, precisely the places which might be expected to yield a rich reward to an investigator of crime, and he is now flying to and fro over Coney Island, preparatory to preaching a scathing sermon on the wickedness and indecencies of our bathing resorts. Here we have a natural and probable explanation of the flying man, 
and it is earnestly to be hoped that no one, with mistaken zeal for field sports, will attempt to shoot the preacher on the wing with a shotgun. There is not a shotgun in existence which will do any good at a distance of a thousand feet. Oh god damn it, I forgot the one that actually made and fall down clutching my heart. I was camping and some of the group had gone off on a late night stroll. After a while, me and a friend got bored and decided to go look. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Ando. And I'm Fer. And we host Niñas, Niñas Bien Podcasts. We want to invite you to listen to our show. Niñas Bien means good girls in Spanish. But you have to know that this is not a podcast for good girls. Or for girls at all. It is a comedy podcast. So everyone is welcome to listen. We talk about sex, relationships, technology. We recommend movies and TV shows and discuss pop culture in general. And there is Chisme Ajeno too. A section we have just to gossip about everyone. So you'll find something you like here. And you'll practice your Spanish. The cleanest Spanish you'll find, we promise. And if you already hablas español, vamos a hacer tus nuevas amigas. We'll be your friends for the non-Spanish speakers. New episodes every Monday and Thursday. Hosted by Acast and available to all audio platforms. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com For them. It was pretty much rolling grassland hills with few trees out there, so we figured it wouldn't be hard. It was also unearthly quiet, other than the occasional distant owl or coyote sounds, so we were whispering and being very chill. There was pretty good moon so we hadn't brought lights either. Anyway, I finally see someone standing under a tree on the crest of this hill, so I go up there first. I call out quietly and don't get a response. Again, no response. Kinda annoyed, I just strut up there, but I'm realizing something looks weird about this person I've been seeing. They're holding their arms over their head and the proportions aren't right. But I think that was all kinda subconscious because I didn't do anything different until I got close enough to see that it wasn't a person at all, but a coyote that someone had flayed and strung up to the tree by the limbs like some kind of totem. 
I literally fell backwards in shock. Turns out the woman who owned the property was no fan of coyotes coming after her livestock. She also woke us all up in the middle of the night once with sustained AR-15 fire. Like 20 shots. Someone who lived near there just said oh she must have found a whole pack of them. Go back to sleep. This encounter occurred just south of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania in October 2018. I'm a professional photographer and work throughout the region. I have been fortunate to have a successful business, great clients, and beautiful landscapes to work with. I went out one spring day for a wedding engagement shoot. The couple had specifically chosen the abandoned Piney Fork Tunnel for the location. I was familiar with it so I agreed. We shot at a few other sites first and then I met them out there late in the afternoon for the best lighting. I picked a good spot and started working. Everything was running smoothly at first until we started hearing the sounds coming from somewhere inside the tunnel. It was long enough that it was dark in the middle so we couldn't see anything past a few hundred feet. It sounded like someone was moving around in there. We tried to ignore it and I just kept taking pictures but the noises got louder like it was coming closer to us. The couple was now more uncomfortable and they looked tense in the pictures, so I suggested wrapping it up, but they wanted to finish. I got in another few shots before we heard the growling. We stared into the tunnel petrified. The sounds had been unsettling though not actually concerning. But the deep growling meant something very different. It sounded large and threatening. After a quick discussion, we decided to leave and go to a backup location. I started packing my lenses as the couple walked to their car. The growling continued and sounded as if it was getting closer. There was also a scraping sound. I panicked, grabbed my stuff, and ran for the car. I got in and immediately locked the doors. The couple was already pulling out but I had parked facing the other way and needed to turn around. As I did there was a brief second where my running light shined into the tunnel entrance. In that second I saw the source of the sound. It was huge. It definitely was not a stray dog and many times larger than a German Shepherd and it was standing on its hind legs, although it was bent forward. The beast was nearly 7 feet tall. The head was covered in thick fur and it had dog-like ears sticking up on the top of its head. I couldn't see the features clearly because it was too far away but I saw the eyes reflecting in the light. The eyes had a deep orangish red color. I had absolutely no idea what I was seeing, but it walked on two legs. Then I blinked and it was gone. I followed the couple to the next location. When we got out I asked them if they had seen the thing in the tunnel but they said they hadn't. I wasn't sure if I should tell them what I saw because it sounded too crazy even though they had heard the growling. I decided to keep the details to myself. We finished their session as fast as we could. A few days later I was sorting through their photos and I got to the tunnel photos. As I had predicted most were not usable because the couple was too tense and uncomfortable in their poses. I looked through them carefully trying to find the best ones to include, not wanting the location to be a total loss. In the last few images, I saw something weird. It looked like a glare or a light flare over the guy's shoulder. I zoomed in and played with the lighting until I saw it more clearly. It was not a lens flare. It was two orange eyes in the darkness of the tunnel. 
They appeared in each of the last few photos and it was proof of what I had seen. The creature in the tunnel was real. I knew that I couldn't include those in the portfolio, not knowing what was leering behind them. I went on a night hike about 12 years ago with a meetup group, just to experience one. I knew no one there and I'm not one to make small talk. There were about 25 people there and beforehand we met in in a small cabin on the property where the organizer laid down the rules. This person was stern. We were to remain completely silent and listen to the night sounds. Keep up with the leader. It was certainly creepy, walking quickly and quietly through the dark woods with strangers at your back. I think the leader was too rigid, and no one seemed to enjoy the experience. As soon as I spotted my car, I got in it and left. I'm 18 years old and recently graduated from high school. There have been some unexplained things going on in my home ever since we moved in last year. My younger brother was in his room carrying out a conversation which was weird because we were alone at home. I went to see who he was talking to. There was no one there, so I asked him who he was talking to. He said the little girl with the black eyes. I asked where she was and he said that she had left. I thought he just lying. About a week later we started hearing voices and footsteps. I would be sleeping with my blankets covering me and I would wake up with them folded at the bottom of my bed. My sister got scared one night and crawled into bed with me. As she was getting into my bed I woke up, so I turned on my TV. I also turned on my light to find the remote. I left the light on along with the TV right when we were both drifting off to sleep, my door slammed shut, which is almost impossible as I always have a basket full of books in front of the door so that it doesn't close. The light then shut off, and my TV picture went off with static noise. I got up and went to the door. I tried to open it but it was like someone was holding the door handle from the outside. My sister and I started to scream when my mom came and opened the door. As she did the light turned back on and the TV picture came back. We had a priest bless the house, but the activity continues. The house was built in 2003 and no one has died there. Can you tell us what we need to do? About a year ago I was talking a walk at a local nature park, it's rather big, right alongside a big inlet river. I tend to cycle up there as there is plenty of drops and jumps for me to do on my mountain bike, but this one day, night was a bit weird, you know when you can just feel something in the air? I was going about my business as usual and realized it was getting pretty late, like not dark but the light was beginning to fade, not many people were there that day but all day I just felt like I was being watched, I lined up a drop which runs next to a set of stairs, quite a long one. Right as I hit the drop I hear this almighty squark, really throaty, bit of a roar combined with like, a bird I guess, my handlebars wobbled a little bit but I managed to get to the bottom without falling. I slam on my brakes and look up the drop behind me and there was this figure, human-like just standing at the top, he was wearing denim jeans with this weird, almost pagan-esque robe, garment which had like feathers on it, all tattered and stuff, and he just looked at me, Dead pan, no expression and after about 10 seconds just let out this noise again, 
really loud, eyes stretched out, I shit my pants, and began to cycle out. Now it's about a 10-minute ride of windy paths, going over little wooden bridges covering small rivers, runs. And I swear to God this noise happens like four more times, each a little closer and to top it off, there was nobody around, like normally you get couples walking through. Or older folk with their dogs, but nobody, nothing. I've been back twice since, and each time I just cannot get comfortable enough to stick around and enjoy myself like I used to. One day I think I'll grab a bunch of my pals from hockey and go exploring, see if we can figure that shit out. As AUS Air Force Law Enforcement Specialist I had earned leadership and respect by doing what I'm told to do, no matter how difficult the task. At the time I was stationed at Barksdale AFB in Louisiana. A drugged up civilian man attempted to beat me to death. He was charged and pleaded guilty to the attempted murder of a federal officer. I had been shot at several times by gang members who thought that they could send their buddies on base to sell dope and mess with the enlisted men. I had been recruited into nuclear weapon security and presidential security. These are just a few of my duties while I served. In January 2002, early in the morning around 2 a.m., I entered a conventional weapons storage area on Barksdale AFB. The CAS area was located away from the main area of the base carved out of heavy forest. Inside the CAS area are bunkers. The bunkers have large locks on the doors that are easy to see using a spotlight from a vehicle. I enjoyed doing the CAS checks because it was often peaceful. But on this particular night, I had a gut feeling something was wrong. I called dispatch and informed them that I was doing a CAS area check. Dispatch understood I would be in the area for approximately 20 minutes. The check ended up taking much longer because the weather went from misting to heavy fog and mist limiting my visibility to about 50 yards. With the spotlight, I crept through the CAS area to check bunkers. I became more and more scared, a fear that was new to me. I had never experienced this before. I felt almost a desperate need to leave the area, however, I wasn't finished with my area inspection. So I stopped my vehicle, got out, chambered around in my M4 rifle, and ensured I had an M9 sidearm ready. After re-entering the vehicle I continued my inspection. As I cleared the older bunkers I entered a new bunker area. The fear I felt was thick in the air and I had a fight against the gut feeling that I needed to leave the area quickly. As I approached the newer bunkers I slowed down and had to pull up very close to them because of the heavy fog and mist. I turned on my spotlight and was shocked to see a row of bunker doors open haphazardly and the padlocks cut off and laying on the ground. I immediately called dispatch and informed them that I needed backup and I had found an unsecured area. Dispatch acknowledged and informed me they did not have a unit to back me up and I should clear the area alone. Everything I was informed to do was so far out of the normal procedures that I knew dispatch was dealing with a much bigger issue. I put the vehicle in park and grabbed my M4 rifle and slipped the safety off. I took out the flashlight and looked into the bunkers that had been cut open to find all of them completely empty. I called dispatch and informed them that I was going to return to the main base and they acknowledged. I got back into my vehicle. 
The inspection was complete and I drove up to the lock gate to exit the area. As I exited the vehicle I again had this absolute terror wash over me, to the point that I looked around into the darkness. I even called out asking if there was someone there. Nothing but complete silence. To make a long story short, the gate was stuck. I was unable to open it. The evil feeling became incredibly strong now. I could feel a presence standing behind me. It was full of hate. I became increasingly aware of this invisible entity or creature. I stopped and turned towards the area. I could feel this thing was near me and I asked it politely to allow me to leave. I turned back and the gate was free to open. I drove my vehicle through locked the gate from inside and walked about 20 feet to a pedestrian gate and attempted to unlock it to leave the area. I couldn't unlock it. I felt this entity almost pressing against me emitting an overwhelming fear within me. I once again turned towards this entity and asked if I could please leave. I turned back to the gate and it was easily unlocked. I exited the gate and turned around locking it shut. I had this distinct feeling that this entity was not able to leave the CAS area and I was safe from it. But it felt as if it was projecting hate and intense fear at me. I cleared the round out of my M4 and put the weapon back into the truck. I returned to my normal duties but soon realized that several hours had passed while conducting my 20-minute inspection. It was now around 7 am. I returned to the main base, turned in my weapons, and went to the flight chief's office to explain why I was late returning. I knocked on the door and pushed the door open to see the day shift flight chief sitting behind the desk. When he recognized me he stood up and said in a very aggressive manner, did you see it? I was thinking that the NCO was talking about the open bunkers. I said, yes sir. He came closer in an aggressive manner and again asked if I'd seen the creature. I was taken aback and said, no, but I felt it. He looked me in the eye and told me never to go into the CAS area alone and if I was ordered to, which was common, to discreetly inform dispatch I can't enter that area alone because I was given a lawful order not to. Strangely, I was never assigned to the CAS area again. After many years, I still have no idea what I encountered that night. My encounter occurred in Golconda, Illinois on June 15, 1991 at approximately 2.30 am that night I thought I dreamed about several aliens coming into a cabin I was staying in with my girlfriend. Early the following morning I awoke, and described to my girlfriend my strange dream. She went on to tell me that she had the same dream and that she had been taken to a spacecraft out in the field that was near the cabin. In my dream, I was awoken by three to five alien greys. Their featureless faces were only illuminated by the reflections from their black eyes. I remember sitting up in bed, holding the covers up to my face so that only my eyes were exposed. They came towards me, and one seemed to be holding some strange, jewel-encrusted wand. It was gold and had red and green crystals that may have been used to control the device. I think it was this device that was used by the aliens to disrupt my memory of the events. The next evening my girlfriend woke me up very late at night, terrified. She said they were back, and she did not want to do with them. Immediately I became aware of a very low frequency humming that was coming from somewhere outside. 
here is where it gets strange since it was a waking memory, and I remember it as a waking memory. My actions at that point on seem bizarre and irrational to me. I went out onto the porch to see if there was anything. There was a very bright light shining through the trees that separated the space around the cabin from a large overgrown field. It was at this point I think the aliens, again, used their minds, or my own brain was just going into shock over seeing such a bright light shining from this isolated field. We were miles and miles from anything. The cabin we were in had no electricity, and no water, and the closest neighbor was several miles down a dirt road. It was like my rational mind kicked in to convince me that what I was seeing was not real. I thought it could be some kids on AT versus, or we were hearing the sound of a faraway generator, or that someone was simply playing a joke on us. From that point on I can't remember much. I don't remember going back to the cabin. The next day I woke up early in the morning and went out to the field to see if there was anything. Out where the bright light seemed to be emitted from there were eight concentric circles pressed into the grass and mud. These were not like crop circles but appeared as if something had pressed into the ground. The outer circle was approximately 40 feet in diameter. This incident occurred on Wednesday 20, April 2016 at approximately 8.30 p.m. in Zygi, Cyprus. My two friends and I had just finished our meal and were out in the garden talking and drinking, not alcohol. One of my friends had gone into the kitchen to refill their glass, whilst I and my other friend remained outside. After a moment of silence, my friend pointed out an unusually bright star moving across the sky, assuming it may have been a comet or something. After a brief moment, I looked up at it again to realize that it was stationary, around 75 to 100 feet above the tree line. I sat there, staring at this thing, just in complete shock. Every 15 seconds or so it would lower its altitude until it was only a couple of feet from the treetops. The weirdest part about this is that absolutely no noise had been emitted thus far. I tried to get out of my chair to hurry inside, but I felt an overwhelming feeling of paralysis, as did my friend. I turned to her and asked her what was going on, but she looked frozen in fear. After what felt like hours, something appeared from around the trees underneath the triangular craft. It was a humanoid figure, with a head similar to that of an ant, and skin like a crocodile. It had extremely small eyes in proportion to its head, and long, thin appendages. It walked right up to the fence, before sharply turning and sprinting into the darkness of the trees. After a brief moment of complete fear, dread, and anxiousness, the craft moved in a linear path towards the west, before becoming no longer visible. During this time, my friend who had gone to refill her glass watched the entire event through the window. She recalls, although neither me or my other friend do, that the creature had some sort of device in its hand, and that it held it up briefly before its disappearance. I do not know why it came to us, or to where we were, but I can tell you it is the first time I've ever witnessed this or heard of this happening in Cyprus. I lived in Boaz, Alabama at the time of this incident. It was July 5, 2014. At 10.25 p.m., I checked my watch. My friend and I were sitting on her deck drinking coffee. 
She said, look. I looked up in time to see a rectangular shaped object with lights circling around it, changing colors. We kept saying, what is that? It briefly went totally dark and then reappeared moving toward her property. Her house is situated at an elevation of 1,053 feet above sea level according to my phone. There is a very steep drop-off at the edge of her lawn which is heavily wooded all the way down the mountain. These objects were high above the trees which are very tall. As the large object moved closer and closer to us a small semicircular shaped object was seen below the larger object. I grabbed my cell phone and began taking photos of what we were seeing. It came close enough to her lawn to reflect light onto the grass. Then the semicircular shaped object straightened itself out and flew at a speed I've never seen anything move without of our sight behind trees. The large object began getting very bright with almost fiery looking lights shooting out of the ring where the multicolored lights were first observed. We watched it for what seemed like a short period of time but we later realized we had been out there watching for about an hour and a half. I have no direct memory of the object leaving or blinking out but it was just gone. I began to take photos all around in hopes of finding where it went. That's when I got the very poor photo of what seemed to be two little creatures. Also, strangely enough, another glowing light appeared deep down in the woods. It would brighten when we talked to it, then dim and brighten again on request. My camera never recorded a photo of this object although I snapped them repeatedly. My friend said once during watching the object she was going to get a flashlight and go out there and look more closely. I strongly encouraged her not to do that. I felt that we were fine on the deck where we were but didn't need to be out there any closer. We were unnaturally calm afterward and even talked about how we just sauntered back inside the house and went to bed, too calm if you ask me. It was a very odd experience. I am describing my first experience that I can remember here. I believe I was 15 years old. I had gone to bed that Saturday night probably between the hours of 10 and 11 pm. I lived in Cambridge, Ontario, Canada. My bedroom was on the top floor of our house in a turret. There was a single bed on either side of the room which was in the shape of an octagon. I woke with a start and looked over at the other bed and saw my cat sleeping there. He always did. I then looked at the clock radio which had been acting strangely over the past few weeks. It had been turning itself on and off all by itself. Usually around the same time at night. Perhaps I had gotten so used to it that's why I had woken, but the time on it said it was 12.15 am. I tried to roll over and go back to sleep. Suddenly I found myself paralyzed on my back unable to move. There was a tall being beside me to the left. The right side of my bed was up against the wall. This being was also a shadow but its eyes glowed white. It began to communicate with me via ESP. I was somehow able to communicate back with it the same way. I do not remember everything. I do remember it asking me if I wanted to join it on its ship. Then suddenly the craft appeared by the window in green, greenish blue, and, Violet lights were flashing from a silver disc-like UFO that was being operated by others that were in the room with me. It hovered there for several minutes. During this period of time, the shadowy being took what was to me, 
its index finger, and touched me on my solar plexus. I then woke in a start. My cat was not on the other bed and the clock radio said it was only midnight. I thought I had experienced a bad dream. The following morning I went to get into the shower and on my solar plexus was a marking. It remained there for a number of years and was very sensitive. It comes and goes now. When that spot on me is touched I feel as if endorphins are being released. I have had other experiences since this one such as sightings of strange things in the sky and being paralyzed in bed. Seeing strange lights flash in shadows. However, none were quite like this. I also had some inorganic materials exit my body only several months ago which, I am not comfortable showing to a doctor. I'm not sure if this is the appropriate time to come forward with this story seeing that the recent events in Japan are still fresh in everyone's memory. I have been a follower of your podcast. Naturally, your podcast was the one I thought of first when this incident happened and I decided to write in and tell you what happened that night in early February. I was in Japan on business and had emailed a lifelong friend who was living in Japan and teaching English at a local school. He had insisted on my staying with him for the duration of my stay, saying it would help save me money and make my expense report look better when I turned it in. My friend, I will call him Tim for the sake of his reputation and career, was a lifelong bachelor and had a fairly large apartment all to himself and his cat. After several days of day-long meetings and group seminars, we decided to go out to get a bite to eat and take in the town. After a fairly large meal and hopping from one night spot to another, we decided to go toward the ocean and check out the moonlight reflecting off the waves. My friend stated that he wanted to check on a biology station that some of his graduate students had set up near a large power plant. As we approached the plant from the west, we walked along some paths and came to a simple metal box bolted into the ground. From this box there were a myriad of weather vanes and other meteorological devices. My friend stated the school's science class students had a theory that just like the water being used and discharged by the power plant was warmed by the production of electricity, the air around the plant was also being warmed and thus affecting weather and tidal patterns in the surrounding ecosystem. It all sounded too complex and in my slightly tipsy and tired state was only able to grasp the bare bones of the complex theory he laid out. He finished up and changed the subject to something more jovial when all of a sudden we heard a loud and distinct whoosh. At first, my mind thought it might be the sound of the distant waves crashing ashore when we heard it again, followed by an ear-pitching screech that shook me down to the bone and made the hairs on the back of my neck stand on end. We looked around for the cause of the noise when we heard the sound again. The best way I can describe it is a city bus break when they are in need of service, loud and ear-splitting. We both continued to look around when my friend's attention was drawn toward the plant by another nearby couple. A younger couple, out for a walk were staring toward the plant, arms outstretched and the obvious fear in their voice showing itself. I looked toward the plant, and against the lights of the plant, I thought I saw a figure silhouetted against the moonlit sky. The figure was large and black, from the distance I was at it looked to be sitting on top of one of the squared-shaped buildings. It sat there for about five seconds then it unfurled a large set of what I could only describe as large, black wings. 
The only reference I can compare them to is from the old John Travolta movie Michael where the main character unfurls his wings and spreads them out to their full length. To say that this creature was large was an understatement. The creature then took flight and circled the plant at least four to five times, some circuits he took at a fast pace, some he seemed to slow down, all the while he kept his attention on the row of square-shaped buildings that I later found out housed the reactors. The creature then came toward us, flying at least 25 to 30 feet off the ground. The younger couple who had noticed the creature first were now screaming and cowering, the man shielding the woman while shielding his head with a jacket. My friend and I looked in awe as this creature flew over us. That's when I noticed the two large red eyes, they seemed to glow from within and with a blood-red hue. They were unblinking in the three to four seconds we saw them. We knew they were looking straight at us, we knew this creature knew we could see it and it made no attempt to disguise itself. The sick, intense, and overwhelming feeling of dread came over us. A feeling that we shouldn't be there was, to say the least, overwhelming. As quickly as it came, it flew away, back toward the town, eventually melting into the black night sky and as it flew away from us a loud whoosh was heard again and then. Silence. This lasted a second or two before I heard the sound of a shutter and turned to see my friend trying to take pictures with his cell phone, but all he got was a dark nighttime sky. We went straight home and my friend bolted the door and drew all the blinds, he was shaking and saying that he could not believe what he saw, could it have been a large, unknown species of bird? He kept mumbling to himself until I was able to calm him down and get him to relax and talk about what we had seen. Eventually, we both agreed that it must have been some sort of large bird, or maybe an optical illusion caused by the lights given off by the plant on a regular, known species of bird. We talked about it late into the night, till we both fell asleep on the couches and awoke the next morning to stiff necks and backs. My friend and I spent the last two days out and about and enjoying each other's company, till he drove me to the airport and we bid each other farewell and I came home. We spoke about it only once more in an email about a week before he was due to come to the US for his sister's wedding. When I brought it up at the wedding rehearsal dinner, he was convinced that it had been an optical illusion. That was until the day before the wedding when he woke me out of a deep sleep with a frantic phone call telling me to turn on the TV. There came the images of the devastation of the Japanese earthquake and the near total destruction of the city of the town of Okuma where my friend was living and working. On the day of the wedding, the news came of the explosions at the local nuclear power plant and as CNN broadcast the report, we were both aghast at the same power plant where we had seen the strange bird-like object not being shown on the television set. The Fukushima Daiichi was the exact same plant we had seen the strange bird-like creature circling. Was it pure coincidence or was it the mythical Mothman doing his strange work of predicting disasters? I may never know and may go to the grave wondering that, but one thing is certain for sure, I don't think that either of us is going to forget this event, no matter how long we live.